Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. Awesome. Advent. <laughs> That's the best. Uh, cool. So, um, many of you have probably heard of Advent before, right? We're leading up to uh, the Jesus season, the Christmas season, um, and celebrating uh, the birth of Jesus Christ, the incarnation of the living God, uh, which is super awesome. So this is going to be a pretty baby-filled day. Um, and uh, I am sitting down because I, I was telling Russ earlier, it is going to be a miracle um, if I uh, don't cry during this sermon, right? So I'm going to sit down so I also don't fall down. It's going to be great. Uh, cool. So we've been in a series called Sacraments. Um, and if you've been in the Christian tradition for any amount of time, you've probably heard that word before. Um, but as we've been going through this series, we've been trying to reimagine um, the, the borders, I guess, of what a sacrament is, right? So a sacrament is an outward sign of an inward truth. It's a way that God communicates with our world through our physical reality. And you've probably heard of like things like communion and baptism and Catholic tradition. You've got marriage and confession, right? We have all these things, um, but we're trying to um, understand if God is communicating with us um, through, through these things, aren't there many more? Um, could we per, uh, perhaps push those boundaries, right? And see where might there be other sacraments in our lives, um, and one thing that we found is that looking at these sacraments, a good tell of what a sacrament might be is that it lives on this uh, paradigm or pattern of death to life, meaning that if we're going to step into the abundant life that Jesus calls us into, that there's going to be a death. Um, there's going to be something within us that needs to die. I like to think of it kind of like a seed that is planted um, and then blooms into a tree. It first needs to be put into the dirt, which can be a scary and dark place, um, but from there, from there, something beautiful grows. And today, the sacrament we're going to be talking about is children. Ah, woo! <laughs> nice. Yeah, only the people without children are excited. <laughs> uh, cool. But my goal, my goal by the end of this sermon is that every single one of y'all is going to have baby fever. It's going to be, it's going to be great. We're about to grow this church. It's going to be, it's going to be awesome. All right. We got room at the table, so make the babies. Um, so. <laughs> When I say children as sacrament, um, or when I was looking at it, I thought, this is kind of weird. I even talked to some people about it, and they're like, how? What? <laughs> um, and because uh, a, ch- a child is a human, it's a, it's a thing. How can a person be a sacrament? And I think there's a conversation to be had about how humanity lives in this paradigm of death to life. But I think specifically, um, in the story of, of Jesus throughout the Bible, children, um, children hold a very important spot for us. Um, so, let's do it, yeah? <laughs> I think that children uh, illuminate something about the divine nature um, that we're going to take a look at today. All right, if you're ready, say, yeah. Yeah, yeah. nice. All right, I want to start with two stories. The first story begins in Eastern Asia. A woman realizes she's pregnant. What begins with dread is soon replaced by joy and a deep longing to meet her child. She wastes no time naming it. Its body barely formed in her womb. The life humming within her is her future. And it's a future of hope, of new beginnings, of new life. She spends her days awaiting the child. 
The months go faster than anyone could have expected and she's washing her feet in the river with her sisters, belly heavy with what she hopes is a boy when she goes into labor. With all the strength she can manage, she lets her sisters lead her back to their home. A few hours later, the cries of a newborn pierce the village. It's the only sound for miles other than the sound of soldiers marching through the night. See, earlier that day, King Herod had sent his soldiers out to kill all newborn boys. A prophecy of a new king bouncing around in his skull, consuming his thoughts with a fear of a child. And in his fear, the blood of innocence dripped from his hands. A fear from which only those who fled had any hopes of surviving. In the second story, a mother leads her daughter with one hand and clutches her youngest son in the other. They've been walking for hours, their feet blistered by the uneven ground, their skin and clothes caked in dirt. She turns to look behind her and sees everything she's ever known so small in the distance. Her garden, her friends, the school her daughter just began, the gunfire, the men with the strange faces all shrinking. Around them are so many others like her. Her story is not new. She knows this and walks a little faster. They reach a wall of bodies. Thousands of people push against each other for a chance to see over the fences. Whispers about a weight passes through the crowd. She holds her children closer, close enough to hear her daughter ask her for what seems like the hundredth time, where are we going? She looks towards the fences, somewhere better, she says. And miles away, someone orders tear gas and rubber bullets for what the man on TV calls an invasion. The cries of children and families muffled by the wicked prophecies of what might be coming. We know both of these stories and, and are probably driven to ask, what could drive an adult to do something so heinous? And the answer is fear. The answer is power. And I don't think we get to talk about children today um, or talk about how they illuminate the divine reality without first confronting um, the real fear that children pose for us and the, and the ways that we've used that to justify terrible things. The ways that we've turned our face from the most vulnerable of us. And in these cases, a lot of the fear is about what the child might become, right? We often look at children and we project a future on them. We say, oh, this child, uh, they're gonna grow up to be a great person or I hope they don't grow up to be a terrible person, right? All of our, our minds are, are busy with a, with a future that they have yet to live. Um, it's so much so that I think it, it, it becomes difficult to actually see them where they are and celebrate them um, where they are. And in the cases of these stories, the fear there 
is that they might turn into something ugly. But I think on the other hand, um, what I think we often fear when we look at children is ourselves, that we might mess them up, um, say the wrong thing, raise them the wrong way, uh, not give them the right diet. You know, do I, do I hold them right now while they're crying or do I let them go so that they can uh, say grow or well, what do I do, right? We, so many of us, I know parents for sure, have books on books on books of stuff. It's like, how do I raise my child? Because over and over again, we find that we don't know. We're not sure. And in that unsure place, um, there's, so much, there's so much fear surrounding children. And I know you're probably like, didn't he say he was gonna, <laughs> he was gonna finish, convince me to have a child? <laughs> Don't worry, we're getting there. <laughs> um, but children are, they're so vulnerable. So infants, let's talk about infants real quick. These little things with like, you could sneeze and break all their bones. Like that's, that's how vulnerable they are. And then they're toddlers and then they're literally trying to kill themselves. Like you have to stop them from like walking off into traffic and all these things, right? Every, every parent is like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then, uh, then they become teenagers and that's a whole nother thing, right? <laughs> um, there's, so much, there's so much scary like anxiety um, that comes around children um, because they are incredibly vulnerable. And I think that that vulnerability scares us because when you look into the face of the child, you see your own vulnerabilities as well. I see that, oh, I don't have all the answers, that I might, I might mess this up. I might, I might actually mess this up. I feel this all the time, especially as a, as a teacher um, with uh, children who historically have not, um, their education has not been great. They've had a lot of people telling them terrible things for their entire life. And I'm like, what if I say what if I say the wrong thing and it sticks? In my research um, about this, I came across a poem. And it says, they messed you up, your mom and dad. They may not mean to, but they do. They fill you with the faults they had and add some extra just for you. But they are messed up in their turn by fools in old style hats and coats who had the time uh, who half the time were soppy stern and half at one another's throats. Man hands on misery to man. It deepens like a coastal shelf. Get out as early as you can and don't have any kids yourself. Bleak, <laughs> right? Um, but, there's, but in this poem, it just really resounded with this fear that we have of ourselves when it comes to children, that we're gonna mess them off. And I think that fear, that place of vulnerability that we end up to feels like death. And so for myself, um, uh, people my entire life have been asking me, well, what do you wanna do? Um, what is, uh, what's, your, what's your dream job? Where do you wanna see yourself end up in 10 years or whatever, you know? Um, and forever, for as long as I can remember, the answer was, I want to be a dad. Um, I want to be a father. That is the only calling that I've ever known in my life. Like more than being a minister, being a teacher, um, uh, any social, any, it's being a dad is the thing for me. But I grew up in an abusive household. 
My dad beat us and cursed us and beat us and cursed us and all the demons that he lived with found me. And, and I'd be lying if I said that there's not a part of me that, there's not a part of me that doesn't believe that that's a part of me now. That I'm going to hurt my children, that I'm gonna be a terrible father. This is the fear that I live in. Is that I, and that I'm gonna, that I'm gonna mess up. And, and, and it's in that, vulnerable place. It's in that place where Jesus meets me and says, no, the, the story's not done yet. There's more here. I want you to continue moving forward. And during Jesus's ministry, he talks a lot about children. Um, you've probably heard the songs, Jesus loves the little children, all the children in the world, blah, 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 right? Uh, we we kind of get the idea that yeah, the guy likes kids. Um, but I think there's something more than just that, right? There's more than just a love for children. It's just like, yeah, they're cool. I think that he points to children specifically because he says there is something real and important for you to see here. He's got like a neon sign and he's like pointing it at the nearest child. And he's like, look, 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 <laughs> right? Look at these ones. And you will see something of my nature. You will learn something about the world and about yourself that will save you. And um, in, in Matthew 19, verse 13 to 15, Jesus is in a crowd. And it says, Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Um, and side note here about the disciples, right? Um, they're not just like these salty people, right? They're the, the, the crowd that Jesus is in, like right before this, he's talking to uh, women who have been divorced and being divorced, not in a legal sense, but being like tossed away by their husbands and their husbands go off to do this other thing. And they have these children and their children would have been considered bastards by the state and therefore unclean. So the disciples are saying, no, 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 keep the unclean children away away from Jesus. But Jesus says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And in other gospels, it also says that if you are to inherit the kingdom, be like one of these children. And I imagine that hearing this, people in the crowd are like, why? <laughs> what, 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 do these, what do these children have that I don't have? They can't even like wipe their own butts. There's snot over their face. What's, what's going on here? Um, but he goes on and in Matthew, um, in the next few verses, uh, a rich man comes to Jesus and asks him how he might inherit the kingdom. And Jesus tells him, well, you need to follow all of the commandments. And he's like, yeah, I, I did that. Um, I've done that since I was a child. And in verse 21, Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, 
it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom again, heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And I don't think that this story comes right after his teachings on children um, on accident. I don't think this is chance. I think he's, he's painting a picture of the kingdom here, one in which the opposite of the rich man is the child. Because where the rich man has everything, everything he could want, the child has nothing. They are completely and utterly dependent on their parents, on the adults in their lives. They, they have to live in this way, right? There's a vulnerability there that Jesus points to. And he says, let that vulnerability, the vulnerability of a child, shape the way you hold yourself. Where a child must rely on adults, we also must rely on the spirit of God. And, and in that reliance, we are weak. We have to come to terms with the fact that we don't have the answers to all of this, that we need something from someone else. We have to come to terms with the fact um, as parents that we will not raise a perfect child. We will not be perfect parents. We will mess up. We will fail. And he says, as you turn towards that, don't, that it, it, it's not going to consume you, right? But there's something important here. This death that we see leads towards a life. It is being redeemed towards something. He says, look and learn from the kid with the snot all over his face. Become weak like this one. Trust, love, be small like this one who has nothing. I want you all to watch a video. What? Baba, mine. All done? Yeah. No, you have to go to sleep. And I want you to take it out. Baba. Hi. Hi. It's time to go to sleep still. I want to go to sleep. Or wait at a second. Lay down. Lay down. Let me sing a song. Yeah. Hey Naya, your name is promise, and I promise you, I never let you down. I'll stick around, cause I love you. Hey Naya. Hey Naya, hey Naya, your name means promise, and I promise you, 
love let you down I'll stick around Cause I love you Hey So what I want you to do now, um, this is something I do in my classes all the time, um, I want you to turn and talk to the person next to you. And I want you to talk about what, what's, what stands out to you about what you just watched. What, what's stuck with you? Go for it. All right, let's bring it back in five, four, three, two, one, and zero. Wonderful. One thing you'll learn about children, the count, man. <laughs> Gets them every time. They don't know what's coming. Um, so I want to hear, anybody want to share? What was something that stuck out to you from that video? Who's feeling like um, exposing themselves? Yeah, the, the father taking the, um, the place as the nurturer here, where um, historically um, that has not necessarily been the case. Anyone else? Yeah, just like my seventh grade class. Anyone else? <laughs> he jumped in the crib. Exactly. I, I feel like that's, that's what sticks with me every time as well. Like I, like the reason I'm not weeping right now is because I don't have any more left. <laughs> I've watched this video so many, oh no, there they are. Um, I've watched this video so many times and every time he gets into that crib, it breaks me because he makes himself small to, to meet his child for both their sakes. For, for intimacy with his child, he takes his grown man body and sticks it in that child's crib. How, how can we make ourselves small to meet the most vulnerable among us? It's uncomfortable, really like literally, 
but how do we do this? And then this is about children, but it expands beyond children as well, right? Think of the vulnerable people um, that you see, that you encounter every single day. How can you make yourself small to meet them, to eat with them, to care for them, to nurture them? And the, and the great thing about God, I think, one of my, um, my top three things about God uh, is he never asks us to go a place where he has not gone, right? He does not ask you to get in the crib before he gets in the crib. And as we start with this Advent season, right, we're um, learning about um, or we're preparing with this like chocolate per day or whatever it is. I never got one of those. Um, we're preparing for the coming of Christ. We're headed towards the moment where God steps into the crib. In Philippians uh, chapter 2, verse 6 to 11, it says, Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but uh, rather he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And in looking at these verses, the, the Greek word for nothing here where he says made himself nothing comes from the root a word kenao which means to empty oneself. And from this word, we get the theological term called kenosis. Uh, kenosis is the theological understanding that God emptied himself of his power to become human, to meet us, that the incarnation of Christ um, is God emptying himself so that he might meet us exactly where, we, uh, where we're at. He makes himself small for the sake of us all. And Advent is a remembrance of this kenosis, of this self-emptying. And um, I think in classes, Jesus fashion, right, um, children are also always calling us to be small, right? Jesus says, be small like one of these, be like one of these to enter the king of the heaven. And children are walking around like, yeah, 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 come here and join us. Like if you, um, like a kid, I know many parents experience this. I, I experienced this uh, for the first time as a seventh grade teacher. We were doing a, a project where they had to draw some stuff and boy, these children suck at drawing. It is terrible, right? But they are so excited about it. They run over to me with this paper and I like, I'm trying to like hold in a laugh as, as he's showing me this. Um, and it's just like a bunch of scribbles and like barely stick figures that he's giving me. Um, but in that moment invites me to be small and saying, wow, <laughs> this is amazing. 
right? Um, over Thanksgiving, uh, we're over at the Joyce's place, um, and I had the incredible opportunity to watch Nathan Cousins play uh, with uh, little Liam, right? And um, as you know, Nathan Cousins already has a child, so he's just being greedy here. Um, but he's he's playing he's playing uh, with this kid, and they're like play wrestling, and and Nathan like uh, Liam will like punch, and he'll go ah. And he'll like, like kick him and he'll like throw himself onto the ground, right? Nathan could beat Liam up in a second. I promise you, <laughs> right? right? Um, and, but he makes himself small there to meet this child in this place, right? He, he gives up some of his power in order to do this. And I think in that smallness, uh, we learn to, you know, give what we have. Because when we, we look at these children um, and they cause us so much anxiety. And to be able to say, you know, I can't give you a perfect world, but I can give you what I have, which is my love, which is my, my power. Can you imagine that? Adults, relinquishing power. Say, I will make myself small. I will lay this down for you. I really want to read another poem for you. This one's called The Gift um, by an incredible poet named Lee Young Lee. To pull the metal splinter from my palm, my father recited a story in a low voice. I watched his lovely face and not the blade. Before the story ended, he'd remove the iron sliver I thought I'd die from. I can't remember the tale, but hear his voice still, a well of dark water, a prayer. And I recall his hands, two measures of tenderness he laid against my face, the flames of discipline he raised above my head. Had you entered that afternoon, you would have thought you saw a man planting something into a boy's palm. A silver tear, a tiny flame. Had you followed that boy, you would have arrived here, where I bend over my wife's right hand. Look how I shave her thumbnail down so carefully she feels no pain. Watch as I lift the splinter out. I was seven when my father took my hand like this and I did not hold that shard between my fingers and think metal that will bury me, christen it little assassin or going deep for my heart. And I did not lift up my wound and cry, death visited here. I did what a child does when he's given something to keep. I kissed my father. What I love about this poem <laughs> is that the son says, I can't remember the story, but I hear his voice still. I remember the tenderness of it. The father had this whole thing, right? This whole lesson he was going to teach his son in this moment, and the kid kept none of it, <laughs> right? But he kept the feeling of his father's hands of his protection, of him nurturing him there. And he did what a child does. 
he kissed his father. He said, yeah, your, your being here was enough. You are enough. I, it's so simple, yet, yet so profound to want to give, I know every parent wants to give their child the world wants to give them a good world. But the children are like, I just want you. I just want you here with me. I don't need all of this other stuff. And in that, I like, I like um, when I like project towards the future and I see this child that I have yet to have and I and I cry because I, I'm so afraid of what I might do wrong, of what might be broken about me. And to hear that child's voice say, you are enough. That's everything. It is absolutely everything. And to be able to say, I am enough, is to have hope for the future. If you're, and if you're looking for that kind of hope, talk to a child. Talk to a child. See, see a child, right? Not as who they will be, but as who they are right there in front of you. And watch the way that time and time again, in sometimes little ways, they remind you that you are enough. And that is hope. That is hope for this world, let me tell you, is that simple phrase. And um, I think when we're looking at these children, um, right, we're, we're looking at a potential for whole new worlds, a potential for an encounter with the divine right now. And I think we're prone even when we look at children to remember ourselves as children, right? And think, oh, they remind me of myself when I was that age. And that's a good feeling, right? Um, but I think instead, what Jesus is inviting us into is to look at a child and ask yourself, what do I see in them that I do not see in myself? What is born here that has become foreign to me? There are so many lessons to be learned from our young folk. You know, whether it's um, Ellie Martin, who's Inquisitive spirit and gentleness uh, challenges me to be adventurous and caring. Or Aidan Billington, who his enthusiasm for the things that he loves, <laughs> challenges me to not hold back on the things that I love and the people that I love to just be enthusiastic about it and for life. Or uh, Aiden and Adele Ho, or, um, or, or, the, or the Chos, Maya and Caden. They're so ready to listen and learn. They work hard, but they play even harder, right? Regardless of what game or like silly activity I put in front of them, right? They're in <laughs> and, they are, and they are there. Or, or Shayana, whose wisdom and, and fighting spirit is so vast. 
is so vast, but not nearly as vast as when she's laughing and you can't get her to stop. Right? Or, um, or Avery and Abby Billington who are like, uh-uh, no, right now we're going to dance. <laughs> that's, that's what we're doing right now. <laughs> or we're going to sing. Like that, seeing that and actually seeing it, not passing it off as some childish thing, but more so seeing it and, and seeing there's such a smallness here. There's a smallness here that I'm aching for, that I need, that I require to enter the kingdom of heaven. I want to invite the band um, back up. You know, the, the list of things um, that I could say about these kids is endless. <laughs> of the ways that they have um, taught me to be more of myself. The way that they have pointed me towards Christ when I thought I was supposed to be the one doing that. And I think this is the life that is promised in that vulnerability. One that makes you want to fix the entire world. I look at these kids and I'm like, I want this world to be so much better for you. And I will do whatever it takes to get us closer to that. But it also reminds you that just you are enough. Like I, I stress so hard, right, um, about, about youth group and what I'm going to do every Wednesday. Like I'm really busy and then I'm like if I don't have the perfect sermon or um, I didn't practice the music that week or um, I didn't come up with it, I'm like oh, we're playing the same games over and over again. I gotta, there's got to be something else out there, right? Um, but then I show up there and I'm expecting, I'm expecting everything to fall apart because I'm like, they're not gonna wanna be here. But then they run down those stairs and they're so excited to like put a, a, like a VR helmet on or like play a board game or like grab a cup off the ground before the other person does, like really small things. And, I'm, and it's just echoing over and over and over again. I hear God telling me, you are enough, you are enough, you are enough. And I cannot thank them enough for allowing me that space, for allowing me to experience them in that way. Because that is the love of a father that I never knew. And I don't think they planned to do that, right? Children are great at not taking themselves too seriously. They just want to be here. Do you just want to be here? In that weakness and smallness, they show me what it means to rely entirely on a father. To know that I'm not going to have the answers and I'm not going to be the one to fix this broken world. 
but I can be here. And I can be loved and I can be known and I can know. This is the family we're being invited into. Many of us don't have kids. Right? So you don't necessarily get to see that every day, but just as was said in the dedication, it's your family. These are your nieces and nephews, your sons, your daughters, your children. And you get to be here. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's sermon. To find out more about the mission and ministry of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday worship and brunch, to subscribe to our other podcasts, and lots more, visit us online at www.hopebrooklyn.org.